So anyway, we're continuing our study tonight on grace, the power of the, the gospel, that it is grace that is the power of the gospel. And <clears throat> I'll try not to be distracted tonight because Shelly is wearing her Minnesota Gopher outfit. And so, you know, it's kind of hard for me to control my enthusiasm tonight. I did that all on purpose. I, I bet you did. Praise the Lord. You know, and uh, the only difficult thing is over here, there's somebody wearing Iowa stuff. And so, you know, there's, there's a spoiled sport in every crowd. Praise the Lord. So anyway, but this, this is front and center where Minnesota belongs. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we're going to be continuing our study of grace, the power of the gospel, because that is the power of the gospel. It is grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about desiring purity. Last week we talked a little bit about holiness and so forth. <clears throat> but tonight we're going to be talking about desiring purity. You know, because I think oftentimes when people, when you begin to preach um, the gospel, or let's, let's, well, it is the gospel. When you start preaching on grace, which is the gospel, often people have the idea, well, if, you're, if we're going with grace, then you can, we can do whatever we, we want to do. But the truth of the matter is, is if we realize what Christ has truly accomplished for us through grace, there is a desire to live a pure life. And I think in the past, you know, under legalism, what happens, you feel an obligation. And there's a difference between sensing an obligation to live a certain way and to live that way because you want to. And that's what, the, what I believe the message of grace does, is it gives us a, a very strong desire to live out what Christ has accomplished in each of our lives. And so as born again Christians, it's our spirit that's been born again. And so our spirit man wants to live right. The spirit man wants to live right. Our flesh may still desire to do what the flesh has always done, but our spirit, our spirit man will want to live um, before God and live a holy life. And so we're going to begin tonight <clears throat> looking in first. Um, John, little John, uh, the fourth chapter. And we're going to begin in the 17th verse. 1 John 4, 17, it says, Love <clears throat> has been perfected among us in this. Notice it, it, it's past tense. Love has been perfected among us. Now, I think oftentimes we look around us and we think, well, <laughs> it doesn't look like it's been perfected to me. But love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Why has love been perfected in us? Because as he is, so are we in this world. And so for that perfected love to manifest in the earth, we have to realize, we have to have the revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus and what that accomplished in our lives. When we were born again, we became one with Christ Jesus. Old things passed away, all things became new. We became a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And so our spirit man is brand new. <clears throat> and within our spirit man are all the attributes of God, all the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of them. They've been uh, imparted into our spirit. And so love is one of those. And so <clears throat> we may not always demonstrate love, but love has been perfected in us. It may not be manifested, but it's in us. And so the key then is to recognize what's in us, recognize what's already been done. Because oftentimes what happens is even though it's a part of our life, we don't recognize it as so. And if we don't recognize it as so, we're never going to 
We're not, we're not going to experience it. We're not going to walk in it. And so love has been perfected among us in this, that we have, may, may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Then if we just back up one chapter to 1 John, the third chapter, and we're going to begin in the first verse here, 1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that, she, that we should be called children of God. Why are we called children of God? Because the love of God has been bestowed upon us. It's not because of what we've done, it's because of what the love of God has done in our life. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. You know, and again, in the Scripture, it talks about how we are, a, we are a peculiar people. The Bible talks about we're a peculiar people. We're different. If we're the same as the world, we're not peculiar. We're not different. And so if we can't be, if, 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 if people can't tell the difference between us and the world, we have a problem. You know, because we are a peculiar people. So our speech, our actions, everything about us, there, it's to be different from the world. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we're children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. And so <clears throat> there's, a, there's a conforming, there's a conformity that's to take place in our life. You know, <clears throat> um, Romans 12, 2 says that uh, we're to renew our minds by the word of God. That we're not to be conformed to the world, but we be, we're to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And so we're, if we're transformed by the renewing of the mind, it begins in our thought life. It doesn't begin in our actions. And so when we begin to change our thought life, we change how we think about ourselves. We begin to change what we believe that God has truly done in our lives. What happens is that, that then begins to, it begins to produce actions in our life. We begin to live differently. We begin to act differently. Why? Because we believe what Jesus has done within us. Let's read that again. First uh, John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Think about that. Because of his love being bestowed upon us, we have a right to be called children of God. We are sons of God. We are daughters of God. <clears throat> Therefore, because of this, the world does not know us because it did not know him. You know, the, the world didn't accept Jesus. Isn't that amazing? This wonderful man that walked on the earth in spite of all of his good works, in spite of everything that he did. The world wouldn't acknowledge him. The world and religion crucified him. Um, they wouldn't recognize him for who he truly is. And you see what the love of God does in our hearts. It begins to reveal to us who God truly is. You know, the truth of the matter is many people, Christians, don't really know the love of God. They, and, and because they don't know the love of God, they don't really know God. That's why people that attribute to God catastrophes, because they don't know my God. When somebody comes down with some fatal illness, they blame it on God that he's trying to teach them something. They don't know my God. They don't know him as I know him. I know him as a loving savior who sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for my sin. But not only that, that by his stripes I might be healed. 
the love of the Father, sent Jesus into the world so that he might become poor, so that you and I might become rich, so that every one of our needs might be met according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But if you don't know the love of God, if you don't know that God is a loving God, you won't attribute any of those things to him. It's by guess and by golly. It's by chance. You just never know about God. Well, I know about God. And because I know about God, I have no fear of judgment. <clears throat> there are some days I look forward to it because I've already been declared innocent. And so I, I look forward to it because if I'm experiencing the judgment of God, that means that I'm in his presence. And in his presence, Jesus is going to say, Father, this one, he passes on because I paid the price for that. So that's why we have no fear of judgment. But it's only when we know the love of God. Now, if you don't know the love of God, you have a tremendous fear of judgment. You have a fear that, <clears throat> you know, have I been good enough? Well, let me settle that for you right now. No, you haven't. Well, pastor, no, you haven't. You'll never be good enough in and of yourself. But the love of God made you good enough because Jesus became your substitute. And see, what the love of God does is it begins to reveal to us how Jesus was our substitute. And when we begin to realize that he took our place, he was our substitute, he paid the price for our sin. And so because of that, he set me free from sin. And so I no longer have to submit to it. I no longer have to yield to it. Notice what I said, I don't have to. Doesn't mean that I won't. I'm kind of foolish when I do. But uh, don't have to because we've been, we've been set, set free from it. But you know, as long as we don't know the love of God, as long as we still see ourselves in bondage, we will remain in bondage. And the enemy will, he'll eat us alive because we're no match for him. He's a, he's a destroyer. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now, now, not in the future, not in sweet by and by, now. Beloved, now, and notice he says beloved, so he's talking to us believers. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we sh shall see him as he really is. You know, <clears throat> physically we haven't seen Jesus. But this word reveals him to us. And when the word begins to reveal to us the love of God, we, we, we begin to see him. And so when we, we look in his face, it's going to be awesome. But it's not going to be a shock because we're going to know him. And see, we're to know him according to his word. We're to know him as he is, as he truly is. For everyone who has hope in him purifies himself. Now, now, this is the verse that I wanted to get to. And everyone who has hope in Jesus. Now, <clears throat> understand, the Bible definition of hope isn't the worldly definition of hope. The worldly definition of hope is, you know, I hope everything works out okay. You know, I, I, I sure, I sure hope things happen. You know, it's 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 a wishing and a hoping. Bible hope is an a wishing and a hoping. Bible hope, the Bible says, faith gives substance to things hoped for. And so, the hope that we have in our life isn't just wishing out there somewhere. The hope that we have is a reality. It's knowing what God has performed. You know, <clears throat> the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. 
You know, I'll, I'll have people that'll come to me and they'll, they'll say, you know, Pastor, the, the problem I have is I, I just don't have enough faith. <clears throat> well, if you've been born again, you've got enough faith. And that was a gift to you, so you've got enough faith. But what I realize is most people that come to me and they say, I don't have enough faith, what they're really saying is I have no hope. Now, the Bible says if you don't have faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But you know what I found out? If you're lacking hope in your life, you find it in the same location. You find it in the word of God. When you begin to read and when you begin to meditate on the word of God, hope begins to rise up on the inside of you. And at a certain point, when that hope gets high enough, what you're able to do is by faith, you're able to reach out and say, that belongs to me right now. But you know, it begins with hope. You know, and so a lot of us, when we think we're, we're short on faith, no, you're not. You're short on hope. Because hope is based on knowing what Jesus has already accomplished for us, what Jesus has done for us. And so for everyone who has this hope in himself, in him, and him is capitalized, so that's talking about Jesus. Therefore, everyone who has this hope in Jesus purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. And so what does that mean? That means that when we look into the Word of God and we and hope begins to rise up on us. <clears throat> you know, I don't know about you. I had, there was a period of time in my life, I had no hope. I, I, I was convinced I couldn't do things. You know, when, when God had called me into the ministry, I told him there's no way that can happen. You know, I'm too, I'm too stupid. I can't read. I'm afraid of getting in front of people. You know, I, mean, I had all the excuses. Anybody ever had any excuses why God can't? Well, we won't ask for a show of hands because nobody's raising them. And I don't have time to have a prayer line for liars tonight. So we'll just, we'll just, I'll just raise my hand for everybody. You know, <clears throat> but, but I had all these excuses. Why? Because I had no hope. Because I had, I had proven that I was stupid based on my grades. I had proven that I couldn't read because I had a difficult time even sitting down and reading uh, children's stories to my kids uh, because of my lack of reading skills. Um, I'd proven that I was afraid to get in front of people because I'd get up in front of my, my whole class, all 12 of us, and I'd freeze because I was afraid to get in front of, afraid to get in front of people. Insecurities, you know, to, to no end. I had all that. You know, and so, you know, whatever your insecurities are, uh, I don't think they're any greater than what mine were. And then I got born again. Well, I got born again before he called me into the ministry, but, but I got born again. And after I got born again, I began to look in the scripture and the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I thought, oh yeah, right. But you know, when God called me into the ministry, I knew that if he called me, he's got to equip me. Isn't that nice to know? If God's called you to do something, he's obligated to equip you to do it. That means you're not on your own. So whatever it is he's called you to do, you can do it. And so I began to declare, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, <clears throat> that meant I had to put in some effort and I had to begin reading to improve my reading. Isn't it interesting how you have to do something to improve it? You know, I, I, I mean, uh, um, I think when I graduated from high school, I can't swear to this, but I don't think I read one full book. You know, we had to give book reports, but that was that, that cover was for on the inside of the, of the book, you know, for you to copy. And I, I could never figure out why I never got a very good grade on my book reports. Well, I realized everybody's copying the same cover. You know, so anyway, so, but I had to, I had to apply myself. But 
as I applied myself and the more I began to believe that God could actually do something through me. I was able to improve my learning skills. I was able to improve my reading. Uh, it actually got to where I enjoy getting in front of people and talking and making a fool of myself. You know, so God can do it. And so, but that hope had to rise up. And, and so when we begin to have that hope, then I wanted, I wanted my life to begin to change. I began to see in the Word of God how a, how a husband is supposed to treat his, treat his wife. You remember me sharing the story how I was reading through Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and came across the verse where it says, Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. I felt the Holy Ghost on that one. And I thought, There's, there it is. This woman would submit to me like she's supposed to. We wouldn't have a problem here. But as we do so often, I made a mistake. I read on. And when you read on, it says, husbands, love your wives. It's Christ loves the church. Woo. He died for the church. And so it was very obvious I wasn't fulfilling that role. But you know what? Through the word of God, through understanding the love of God, there was a desire that started to rise up on the inside of me to be that. And, and that's how it works in every area of our life. And so those areas of your life where you feel like it's an absolute impossibility, that nothing's ever going to change, that's where you take and you apply the word of God, which is the love of God. And it's that love of God that brings about the change. And so where was I? And everyone who has this hope in himself, in him, purifies himself. But notice where it begins. It begins with Jesus. And what religion has done so often, it's, it's begun with us. Oh yeah, Jesus died for us, for our sins, but now we've got to do something about it. Now we've got to change the way we are. But that's not where it begins. It begins by understanding and recognizing the love of God in our life. And when we recognize that, it creates within us a desire to serve him. <clears throat> I like to put it this way. He changes your want to. You know, it's a whole lot easier to correct something in your life when you want to. You know, I know it's not obvious, but I periodically try to lose weight. But I got one problem. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I want to until we get to the dinner table. And I purpose in my heart one helping. You ever eaten my wife's cooking? How in the world do you stop with one helping? It doesn't. And the, the main reason is, I've got the wrong want to. I want to eat it. And so guess what I do? I eat it. But you know, there have been areas in my life where I've had the want to, to change something. And because I wanted to, I was able to bring about that change. You know what God wants to, the number one thing he wants to change in your life is your want to. Oftentimes what we're doing is we're running around and we're laying law on us rather than turning to the word of God and beginning to see the love of God working. And when we begin to see it, there's a want to. There's a want to. You know, and it works in, in area, every area of our life. You know, I, I'm, we're givers. I learned giving from my wife. She's a giver. You know, but, but you know, and I don't know why, but the moment that, it's almost like the moment that we got born again, there was something that was released in our life where we wanted to become, become tithers. And we did. And 
when you read through the scriptures, you see tithing. And so often what happens is people begin to legalistically try to approach tithing. Well, I've got to give because I, want, I have to. If I don't give, the curse is going to come upon me. But you know what changed my life concerning tithing? Was I began to see the blessings of God. I began to see the principles of God that whatsoever a man sows, that is what he's going to reap. And so everything that I do in life is sowing seed. If I give money, it's sowing seed. If I give of my time, it's sowing seed. If I give somebody something that they need, I'm sowing seed. So everything is seed that's being sowed, and that seed is always going to produce a harvest. And so... We reached a certain point in our, our life. This before I was in the ministry, we were living in Ankeny, Iowa. And uh, we were going to leave the denominational church that we were in. And I went to pastor and told him, you know, because it wasn't a spirit-filled church, I says, you know, I really feel like for, for the sake of my family, we need to uh, get into a, a church that is spirit-filled, that is, you know, uh, preaching the word more like we're believing. And he said, he said, Dave, I understand. I understand completely. And, and you have my blessing. You know what? I've never left the church without the blessing of the pastor. Oh, just a thought. You know, <clears throat> but anyway. <clears throat> but but we, uh, we, we left. And, but he said, but I want to give you one bit of counseling before you go. You know, because we're in a denominational church that didn't preach being born again. And he believed in being born again. And he preached from the pulpit. Can you imagine a preacher getting golf be, guff because he preached, you must be born again? That pastor did. It's Pastor Elian in Ankeny. I was, he's long gone from there now. So anyway, we, he, he said, I want to give you one bit of a, a counsel. He said, don't just join the first church that you like. He said, stay there for six months and, and find out if, that, if you, you are a fit there, and if you are, get involved. If you aren't, once you know, you're always welcome back here. And so we, we left for um, six months, and I believed in tithing, but we were kind of jumping around. And so there was a mission group down in, in uh, where I eventually went to Bible school, down in Goldman, Missouri. And, uh, and so we began to send our tithe down there, and we just throw a few bucks in the plate in the church that we're going to or whatever, you know. <clears throat> but we were, we we're tithing down there. And so um, after six months, uh, I told my wife, you know, told Becky, Pastor Becky, you know, we, we need to make a decision here. Are we going to join this church or not? Well, the church we were going to was a Pentecostal church. Um, but over a period of six months, I basically heard two messages. You must be born again. Good message. And the rapture. A good message. But, my problem's in between there. I'm born again, and I'm confident I'm going in the rapture. But how would I deal with life in between? And so believe it or not, we actually ended up going back to the church that we'd come out of because Pastor Elian was a, he, he taught the word. And so we, we heard the word being preached there. Now I had a dilemma. I believe that the tithe belongs to the local church. But I didn't want to stop giving to this mission organization. And so we had a dilemma, what we were going to do. And so we finally came to the conclusion, we'll give a double tithe. We'll tithe to the local church and we'll continue to give to missions down in that church. And you know what's interesting? Is we never missed a house payment. Never missed a lot bill. I was going to say we never lived, missed a car payment, but we didn't have one. And obviously, I never missed a meal. God provided all of our means. But why were we able to do that? Because I was convinced of the love of God that we could not outgive God, that He was more than enough. You know what hinders us in our life of giving? And I'm not talking about money, 
just money. I'm not, I'm talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about investment in the lives of others in, in every area. It's because we think God's love isn't enough. Well, I'm here tonight as a living testimony that it is. Let me tell you something. You know, um, <clears throat> I know look, that I look like I've always been independently wealthy. <laughs> that, that, was a, that, was, that was a joke. But you, know, <laughs> but, but you know, God has always taken care of every one of our needs. And you know what? He's going to continue to do so. And he wants to meet your needs. But how do you have confidence in that? You'll not have confidence in that unless you have an understanding of the love of God. And once you get that understanding, and mainly we're talking about desire and purity in our lives, how do we get to that point? It's by realizing how much God loves us. And when we realize his love for us, our love for him, that love will produce change in our life. It won't have to be based on my willpower, my ability to put down the flesh, although there is that part of it. But you know, when we're, we're operating just totally in willpower, I don't know if you've come to realize this yet, but it's tough. My willpower isn't that good. But you know, when I know the love of God, and he begins to work in an area of my life, all of a sudden, things begin to change. In Romans, the sixth chapter, the 14th verse, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. When, you, when we begin to operate in the love of God, what we're under is we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace. When we're under law, that means we're trying to do it in our own strength, in our own ability, we're trying to accomplish it in our own, and it just, it just doesn't work out very well that way. As you start truly understanding grace, the gospel, the power of God, will break the dominion of sin in your life and bring the benefits of salvation. This probably isn't a very um, religious way of putting this. But serving God pays. There's huge benefits to serving God. Because when we serve Him, you know, we, 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 see, we see the manifestation of His blessings. You know, <clears throat> you know what one of our problems is? We don't, we don't look for it. We, we look at things in our life and we, we, just, we, just, we just think of it as coincidences. You know, uh, and you're going to think this is, this is foolish. You know, and I'm sorry that I talk about myself, but I'm the only, that's the only thing I'm an expert on is me. I, I know my failings better than anybody else. And so, you know, and that way I don't get quite as many people mad at me when I talk about myself. But, but you know, I've been, I, I, I preached two Sundays in a row about um, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and following the leading of the Holy Spirit, that he's here to guide us, direct us. And so I woke up Monday morning and I just had this umption leading and I felt like it was the Holy Spirit that I needed to go see my mom. So I'm thinking, you know, my mom's 98. So I'm thinking, oh, mom's probably about ready to kick off. Maybe she's going to die today or something. So I, <clears throat> I, I got in my, got, got dressed in a hurry and told Becky, I, I really feel like I, Pastor Becky, I'm supposed to go up there. So I got in the car and, you know, it's a four-hour drive. So I drove up to Hastings and get into mom's room and, and she's sitting in her chair, which usually she's laying down when I get there. And she's sitting in her chair. 
and her, her mouth is just totally drooping. I mean, she's, she's sleeping, but she's, I'm thinking, my goodness, did mom have a stroke or something? And so I woke her up, and uh, I probably had the best visit that I've had with my mom in I don't know how many months now. Yeah, because usually when I go up there, she's just totally out of it. And I, I just, <clears throat> you know, I can imagine how one suffers to have to spend time talking to me because I'm not a very good communicator. And so I, I just, I, you know, my, my, everybody says, well, just make her wake up and make her listen. And just, I can't, I can't do that. And so, you know, she'll fall asleep. And, and so then I'll wake her up and kiss her goodbye and say, well, I'll see you later, Mom. You know, so it's usually four hours up, an hour sitting with her and, and four hours back. And, you know, but she visited. I, I mean, I was there for probably about an hour and a half. And then the wind started to come up and I looked at my phone and I realized they were, they were in storm warnings up there. And so I decided I probably better hit the road. But, you know, Mom, you know, usually she could just care less if I left. <laughs> Finally, I can go to sleep. You know? <laughs> but she seemed really sad. You know, so it was, it was hard. I mean, I even put it off a little bit longer because she, she seemed sad that I was leaving. So I, so I left, and, you know, and on the way, I'm, I'm, I'm going and I'm thinking, I guess I must have missed it. You know, because I thought mom was about ready to die. And, you know, and here she is. She's best that I've seen her for a long time. And then the Holy Ghost, you know, you can believe this or not. I believe the Holy Ghost knew that mom was going to be awake so that I could have a, at least one more good visit with her. And we did. You know, it's, it's almost embarrassing. You know, I have, I have difficulty with, with names, you know. So if I ever call you by the wrong name, don't be mad. Um, just take it as a term of endearment. You know, my, my first date with Pastor Betty, I introduced her to my, my parents as Betty. <laughs> and she stayed with me anyway. Can you imagine that? You know, not that night. You know, but, you know, we, we've been together, you know, for 50 years now. So I shouldn't have said that, should I? But anyway, just wanted to clarify. But, but you know what? He leads. Well, this is what I was going to say. But, you know, I can't think of somebody's name. And I, I says, you know, uh, you know, Janet's youngest daughter. You mean Kim? I says, yeah, yeah, Kim. You know, and then there was somebody else, and you know, getting married, and I, I just can't. I think it's Julie. You, you mean, yeah, that, that's who it is. My, 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 my 98 year old mom knows everybody by name back 98 years back. You know, I, I mean, it's just amazing. But see, the point is, I believe I was led by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, this is where, this is where the love of God comes in because. There are things that we look at and we think it's probably just so insignificant. But let me tell you, there's absolutely nothing about your life that's insignificant to God. Absolutely nothing. And you know, when you begin to read the scriptures and you begin to see the love that God has for us, we begin to come to that realization I don't know where to go because I just totally blew my notes. So you're going to have to just read them all for yourself and get it figured out. <clears throat> Many people hear these things, I'm saying, and think I'm totally wrong because they've been so thoroughly indoctrinated in performance. You see, it's, it's not about our performance. As long as we think it's about our performance, it's about my actions, that God loves me because of the way that I act, because of my behavior. You know, <clears throat> the Bible says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That means when you were in your worst sinful state, Christ loved you. He loved you and he died for you. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin, the consequence of sin is death. 
Why, why do we, we want to live a pure life? Well, number one, we want to live a pure life so that we're pleasing to God. Amen? I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with that. There ought, to be a, there ought to be a want to within us that we be pleasing to God. But there's another reason to, to, to live a pure life. Because living a pure life is going to help us avoid a lot of the consequences that are out there in the world. You know, <clears throat> the thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus came, it's John 10, 10. Jesus came that we might have life, and that we might have it more abundantly. The number one reason why the thief steals, kills, and destroys is he, want to keep, he wants to keep you from the abundant life. You know, as a born-again believer, um, the enemy still wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, he can't steal, kill, and destroy spiritually because we're born again, we're saved, we're going to heaven. But he wants to intervene in our life. He wants to bring destruction into our life that will keep us from experiencing and walking in the abundant life. And so it isn't that we're trying to gain something from the Lord. You know, what we need to realize is that when, when Jesus defeated the enemy, he, he defeated death, he defeated sin, he defeated destruction. And so those avenues are to no longer have any entrance into our life. But you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to convince you and I that he's bigger. That your problem and my problem is so big that God can't handle it. But let me tell you something. There isn't anything that God can't handle. In fact, there isn't anything that he hasn't already taken care of. And so what the enemy wants to do, he wants to intervene. He wants to convince us that death and destruction is going to rule in our life. And when we buy it, what happens is we don't experience the abundance that God has truly made available to us. You know, uh, I struggle sometimes. I struggle because, you know, everybody says, you know, you, you just can't preach for more than 20 or 30 minutes because people just can't handle it. It's just, it's just too much for them. Well, I struggle with that because, you know, most people, I only have about an hour to impart the Word of God into their lives a week. That means, I don't know how many hours are there in a week. There's a bunch. And so I'm coming against everything that the world is throwing at people. And if, if we don't get the Word of God on the inside of us, there's no way for us to experience victory. There's no way for us to live this life of purity that I'm talking about here. Because it's a result of the Word of God coming alive on the inside of us because when the Word of God truly comes alive on the inside of us, it reveals to us how much God really loves us. <clears throat> you know, I got a hold of the love of God during a time period in the church when the number one primary message was that we need to fear God. And, and their fear of God was an awe of God that Pastor Becky was well, I guess that was this morning, so most of you didn't hear it. But it wasn't the fear of God <clears throat> that, that is the awe of God. It was terror. Is you need to shape up or God's going to get you. But you know, when all of that was going on, I got a hold of the love of God. Do you know how I got a hold of the love of God? Because this stupid individual that couldn't read didn't have any more sense than to read the Bible. 
And it was the Word of God that revealed to me how much God loves me. And do you know what will ultimately not only reveal it to you, but give you revelation of the love of God? It's going to be the Word of God. You know, um, John 3.16, God so loved the world. So I didn't even talk about you and me. It's talking about the world. And if he loves the world, of course we were all in the world at that time. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the love of God. And so if God loved us that much as sinners, how can we not come to the realization of how much he loves us today, now, this moment? You know, First uh, John, you know, we used to sing this song Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is known of God. Uh, no, that's not right. Born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not, learned it King James. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Praise the Lord. See, we used to sing scripture all the time. Got it on the inside. But you know, it's interesting. I heard a preacher preaching on that one time and she made this statement. She says, you know, if you don't love somebody, you know what you need to do. I mean, if you don't have love perfected in your life, what you need to do is you need to go out and you need to love somebody. Because if you love somebody, then love is going to be perfected in your life. Well, that's not what that verse is saying. It's saying that we're able to love one another because we know the love of God. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. And you know what? That's right. But it isn't going to be as you find a girlfriend and a boyfriend. It's going to be as we find the love of God. You know, <clears throat> there is so much prejudice in the world. But you know what? The only solution for prejudice is the love of God. Because when we experience the love of God and we know how much God loves us, guess what? We become, I don't want to use the word tolerant, but we, we, we love people. And in spite, not because of, but in spite of their behavior. But you know what? If we don't have the love of God, we're not, we're not able to do it. Why, why, is, the, why is the church... So judgmental, because we don't have the love of God. Because we think that, that love is some superficial thing out here someplace. No, it's not. It's an internal thing. It's the love of God on the inside of me that when it's shed abroad in my heart, I'm able to love others. I'm able to receive others. But you know what? If I don't have the love of God, I can't give the love of God. You've heard me say this before. Any definition of love, leaving God out, is an incomplete definition of love because God is love. And that's why any definition of love, leaving God, leaving God out, will eventually end up in lust. Because lust is the devil's counterfeit love. Well, that went over like a lead balloon, but it's, but it's the truth just the same. And that's why we have a world that's just so full of, it's full of lust. You watch 
movies and TV shows or walk down the street or, or anything else. And, and there's, there's all this stuff that comes at you. What is that stuff? It's, it's, it's lust that's trying to take root in your life. And it's disguised as love. But it isn't love. Because the motivation behind it is to satisfy and to please self. That's what lust is. Love is to meet the needs of others at the expense or at the sacrifice of self. You know, that's why in the natural, probably, probably the closest thing that we can find uh, to that sacrificial love is a mother's love for her children. You know, because a mother will sacrifice anything for her children. But that's, that's, that's what God's love is. God sacrificed anything for us. He, he sacrificed the, his most precious possession, his most precious thing, his son, for you and I. You know, I, 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 really, I, really, I really love y'all. <clears throat> But I, I, I don't know if I could sacrifice one of my sons for you. I, I'm just being honest with you. God loved us so much, he gave his son. That's love. And you see, when we come to understand that love, something happens on the inside of us. There's change that takes place. All at once, that which once was easy isn't so easy anymore. Because now the thought is, what does my loving father think of that? And it isn't because I'm afraid he's going to hammer me over the head. <laughs> That's what the law does. I got to do it right because if I don't, you know, God's got this club up there in heaven. He's just waiting for me to mess, mess up so he can just wail me a good one. No, 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 no. It's because I want to please him. It's the love that we have for him. Hallelujah. No church next week. Wednesday night. There is on Sunday. But Wednesday night, there's no church due to um, spring break and cleaning out back, so... Oh, did you get anything out of this tonight? Aren't you glad you got some notes? You got something to study this week because I didn't even cover hardly any of it. Praise the Lord. So uh, there you go. It's the way it goes. Uh, and again, if any of the guys are able to run out back for just a few minutes and see if uh, there's any tables that still need to be moved, that would be fantastic. If you can't, that's fine too. No condo bondo. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your precious name. I thank you for these precious saints. And Father, I ask your blessing upon them in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Be blessed. Go clones. <laughs>